Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 252. This time around, you are joined by award-winning filmmaker Maxi Contenti. A time of release, his new movie, The Last Matinee, is now available on VOD, a bloody, disgusting, and dark star pictures film. It's a beautiful and brutal giallo slasher taking place at a historic movie theater during a screening of a horror film. We talk about the genre film community in Uruguay and its amazing creations, crafting a unique villain, committing to awesome practical effects, and his ideas for expanding this universe. We've got your ticket to the last matinee with Maxi Contenti. It's showtime! Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an exceptional filmmaker and storyteller. A director, writer, and producer who got his start crafting short films in his hometown of Montevideo, Uruguay. His debut feature was 2008's Muñeco Viviante Cinco, followed by 2012's award-winning documentary Helice Revelando Una Tragedia and 2017's horror comedy Neptunia. His latest project is an absolutely fantastic homage to the cinema, a tribute to the vividness of classic gialli and slasher genres, weaving it in to a completely original experience that will stay with you. It's been an official selection at Sitkiss, Panic Fest, and at events all over the world. It's been nominated at Mar del Plata, Hardline, and took home Best Latin American Film at Curtas Festival. A time of release, Bloody Disgusting and Dark Star Pictures team up to bring it to you in limited theaters and on VOD, August 24th. It is the last matinee. We are honored to welcome Welcome, it's creator, Maxi Contenti. Yeah! Yeah! Thank you so much. Dude, Maxi, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us today about this extraordinary film, and congratulations on its VOD release where we'll get into the eyeballs of horror fans everywhere. (laughs) So, So, man, where did your love of horror films begin? What were the first ones you saw that had a strong effect on you? Well, uh, I started little. I, 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 you know, I they allowed me. I don't know why, uh, but yeah, I started watching horror films since I was, uh, you know, five or something like wow. that, or even less. Yeah, I actually got really scared with Gremlins when I was like four. Yeah, something terrifying. Like yeah, I had terrible <laughs> yeah. nightmare. Terrible nightmares with Gremlins. But I have to say, and I have to mention that. Back in Uruguay, in Uruguay, we had we had this program on TV, which was called Friday the Thirteenth, Viernes Trece, and it was shown on Fridays, every Friday, on open TV. Just the most grouchy B movies you can, you know, uh, from the eighties mostly, or, or just seventies. Sometimes some jolly came there, but mostly just American slashers, Friday the Thirteenth. Carpenters and and just like you know the um, just just more more even more B movies like sure. I don't know I, I was really really scared of Puppet Master because of so and and, and um, so that's how it came I mean at first it was you know I got scared I got nightmares 
but then it went back. So I kind of like, I got immunity to it. And I kind of like, and then I found out, the, I found the, 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 the funny bone of it. So it kind of like, you know, it got it grown on me and it, got, it came out naturally to mix up genres too, to, to play with it, to play with comedy. Once I, you know, I found Sam Raimi, that was it. Okay, I got you. Okay, this is, this is how, how it works out for me. The, the, that, that and, and Peter Jackson too. So, so yeah, but that program was something. It was really, it was kind of weird that they had that, that we had that and an open TV. <laughs> but because I couldn't, I didn't have the, to rent a movie I from my mom or something like that. They didn't allow me to watch. I remember my mom uh, didn't allow me to rent Terminator 2. So imagine, but then I could just watch on television, I don't know, the worst, <laughs> just Nightmare on Elm Street. And I, I, I usually kind of, uh, or just, I, I switched channels and then I went back. I did that kind of <laughs> For the super scary stuff. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the horror genre in Uruguay. I mean, there's been some fantastic activity from that country, uh, most recently, including like Gustavo Hernandez is at the silent house and the work of Fede Alvarez. So what is the support like to make films like these there and what the audiences like to see? Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, we are like, uh, you know, in a very, very, I guess, creative uh, grounds for, for, for horror there. That's something, there's something connected in this movie to it because the pioneer of horror is in it. In, this, in, in, in The Last Marinette, I, I, I placed the, the horror pioneer from Uruguay, which is Ricardo Islas. But I guess it's, um, I guess it's, it's rooted maybe in, in something uh, of our literature or something connected to... Uh, are kind of you know midnight stories or something that that brings us into into that realm a little bit more uh, over there. We had this uh, great uh, story, kind of horror story writer called Horacio Quiroga. I think that inspired a, 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 a lots of generations, and he was a huge film buff. I'm actually working on a project uh, biopic of him, and it's uh, it's really. I guess that that's that's one thing for sure. And then the aspect of uh you know film funding and helping out that evolved but actually it's not that um it's not that easy still for genre. Uh, it's not that easy for entertainment films and fantastic films. Mine movie uh, uh was the exception in a way was one of the first to get some film funding. I tried for years, um, decades. <laughs> like I remember the, applying for the first film funds to, uh, with a fantastic project, like in 2007, six, and just, you know, not working out. So for a long time, I worked out with other kind of projects like documentaries, or I tried to work out uh, uh, drama films. And that didn't work out either in some, in some, por- in some parts and in, in, some, in some ways. So out of frustration, I went back and say, I need to, I need to come up with something that is producible and, and, and contained in a way that could work out and maybe get lucky and get some film funding for a horror film. And that's how it, it, it happened. The last minute day happened through that, through out of frustration and a little bit of waiting for the, for the right circumstances in a way. 
Yeah, I was just thinking about one of the characters in the movie, this young boy that really should not be in the theater. And I was thinking, perhaps, was that like the experiences that you had going to the cinema early on? Did you get to watch some of these horror movies as a kid? Now, that, 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 that part is fantasy. I never sneak out in a horror movie as a kid. But I do, I did pick up that character is kind of like inspired by my first experiences in, in, in theaters and getting scared. But getting scared, I mean, the first one that I got, I got scared with Ninja Turtles, the first one. It's a really dark film. But I was alone in one of this, in the same theater that we shot in one of those. So I was, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know why I was alone. Maybe they left, the, someone went to the bathroom with the, the one. I don't know what happened, but it was dark. Those kind of theaters were dark, so much darker. Maybe, maybe it was a bit of that and just being there and the dark picture and all that. And then uh, I remember Jurassic Park just freaked me out, too. Uh, things like that. No, I wasn't that savvy to sneak out in a grungy horror film. I wish I, I was. I wasn't that. that no, no, no. I, I I wouldn't be here. I would be traumatized. Right, exactly. I, I watched them on a on a small uh, on you know bad quality TV. <laughs> That's it. Well, let's take a look at the last matinee. So it all takes place at this palatial cine opera, what looks like a beautiful historic movie theater. And a maniac is killing the audience members at a screening of a horror movie one by one. So just take us back to developing the original concept. Okay, yeah. The concept came actually from the location itself. The inspiration was the, the movie house, this movie theater, this old movie theater I was uh, years ago was shooting a commercial there. I was doing a commercial for a movie day we have over there in Uruguay. It's a, it's a movie day kind of like, you know, it has uh, in, in, in discounts for watching movies. It's kind of cultural, etc. So I was watching, I was watching around with the crew and I went like, this place is haunted. It's calling for a movie. It's calling for a horror movie. You got to make something here. It's amazing. Like really dark, thousand seat theater. And, and that's how it began. So uh, that was the inspiration and sort of like, yeah, I can work something out and maybe make it more producible because it's contained. Let's make a whole movie within theater. Let's get some, okay, okay, well, let's go and, you know, get some references, reference points. That's how the Giallo aspect connected because I, I, I immediately went, okay, uh, I want to I wanna make a slasher because I want to have a really good antagonist. I want to have a villain, a local villain. Let's create a local villain for, for this movie. And slashers have the best villains, the best antagonists. So... But the Giallo part of it was because of uh, looking out for reference points of movies within a movie that uh, Demony came to the to, to, to conversation. That was Lamberto Babas Demony came and said, okay, let's connect, let's merge these this two subgenres because one of them is kind of the father of the other in some, in some, in some form. Um, giallos and then slashers in a way. What about to make, what, what, what if uh, we mix them together? It's, 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 it's more definitely uh, a slasher with neo, neo giallo aspects, the movie. 
Uh, it's more like a, a, a stylized slasher with 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 the, with the giallo scent to it, with giallo perfume, like, yeah. like, <laughs> like an American slasher, but but set up in 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 very locally and going in this really time traveling uh, exploration of Uruguay in the nineties. My my Uruguay in a way a, a fantasy. Uh, 90s from my perspective but it's still grounded in some sort of reality but yeah um yeah that was a little bit of how how it it came to be that way yeah what did you like about that era of the 90s that you wanted to encapsulate into this uh well i like its innocence and i like the it was a slower time for all of us it was much slower and much innocent. And actually one of the subjects, one of the themes of the, the film is the end of innocence in a way. It's uh, one of the things, one of the themes that I, that I, that I drive through the, the movie. And um, yeah, I like that. And it's a slow burn movie. This is in a way, it also wa I wanted to capture how, how it felt in the nineties. So it's kind of a, you know, it, it asks for some patience of the audience, just take it easy and just like, okay, uh, be here and feel how the night is were in a way, it's just taking it in and, 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 and sort of like, yeah, I like that exploration. I think I, ha I, I I'm very much a, a nostalgic person. I like going back to where I fell in love with films. So that was another aspect. But yeah, I, I think um, it's very much the story is very much rooted in this in, the, in in going back. It wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't work out at all if it was set up uh, right now. So that's why it's, it's it's a very nostalgic film. But it's, in a way, it's also bringing back things from that era. And yeah, the Boo Crew will be right back. You are invited to witness a shattering adventure in total fright. Watch me when I kill. Prepare yourself for shock after shock, for horror beyond belief, and spine-tingling suspense that never lets go. Watch me when I kill. You have never experienced the sheer terror, the menacing suspense that awaits you when you see Watch me when I kill! You will watch it happen. You will be there when the unseen killer stalks his unsuspecting victims. Scream if you wish, but nothing will stop him. Are you ready to accept this invitation? Watch me when I kill! Rated R. The posters and advertisements. I was wondering about that. The, some of the things we see in the theater, we see a poster for Argento's opera. There's a tiny right. Sam Raimi, Darkman, and Evil Dead advertisement yeah. in the projector booth. There's Goonies, Indiana Jones. And in one shot, I, I think I saw what looked like a headless crocodile Dundee standee oh, yeah. in the back room. You saw that. Yeah, you I saw that. that. Was all that intention? Did you put that on there in purpose or was it just around? That was crazy. 
that one was there. Really? In theater, really. Also, the Manhattan Sur, which was the year of the dragon, Michael Ciamino, the one that there's a, a door that he has it, and, and, and the character of Angela runs through that door and closes it. That poster was when we, we, we scattered the location, just like, like, you know, it was kind of like, you know, archaeologists looking around That's in so the back cool. of the thing and just getting through the cracks of it. We found those things. It was crazy. And we put that in. We put that. So things that were left off for years and years, this place had almost a hundred years, man. It's like, oh, well, like, I guess like 80 years. Gardel, you know, Gardel, the singer, he sang that place. It was a big uh, theater before. So it's like huge history. A lot of ghosts, ghosts. I mean, just everywhere. And, and you couldn't just be left. I mean, if you had to get something because we camped there, we, we rented the place and we camped the whole crew camped there. We ate there and in the lobby that you don't see the lobby because we combine another location for it. The opera, it's another movie theater that we combine. And it's the last one remaining because the big one, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not a working theater anymore. It's gone. But the opera theater was still working and we had to shut on uh, night shoots there because people were still <laughs> going to this, this theater. And it, uh, the ticket booth and the stairs and all that, it remains just, uh, they remain very much like the 90s. So I combined them because I didn't have that in the other one. Yeah, that was crazy. Some of, well, of course, other posters were part of production design. I tried to, they, they tried to hold me up a bit. I, I, I thank them for that because I, maybe too many preference points all over the place. But yeah, uh, yeah, I put a lot of those there and some of them were put by production design, just, you know, thinking about things and let them do their job and, you know. I like the one that was Dinosaur 10 and I think uh, Policia Roboto, yeah. like a RoboCop kind of poster yeah. oh, that, that was that was an, an invention we also did mock-up uh our, our own our own uh uh yeah versions of of maybe yeah like a robocop uh mock-up film there was also like the movie that the kids are leaving like the last the last man in a movie it's uh, it's sort of like the land before time which is it's kind of like the land before it's like a dinosaur movie animated dinosaur movie and the poster is there oh so that's like, wild in the in the credits i saw the name Raimi too i don't know it was in the credits i saw the last name Raimi oh, yeah, and the kid I there put some easter eggs there there's it's jam-packed with easter eggs i did a comment uh commentary in the for the blu-ray uh, release or uh, i think and I, I mentioned a bit of that oh that's fantastic <laughs> a, a few of the of the easter eggs that are not easily uh, found but you found the, the Dundee. The yeah, Captain Dundee, Tate. yeah. I, it was just Dundee. scary looking, too. I was like, is that, oh, my, what is that? Yeah. You have to pause for that. Yeah, you, you cannot see it if you don't pause. <laughs> well, let's get into the design. Uh, Leo, you had a great question. Lead us in, man. Ricardo Isla's character, Asesino Comeojos. I love that name, by the way. <laughs> where did the name, uh, where did the idea for that killer come from? Is he based on any true crime accounts? Well... Uh, 
at some point, yes, we did a bio, a bio of him, and we, we developed like a you know a backstory. I have a, a, a but it, but it, it evolved. It wasn't an eye eater in a way. This is kind of spoily, but whatever. It's it wasn't an eye eater uh, at first. It was more like a collector, and he had some other things going on, but uh, it just evolved to that and. Part of it was uh, Ricardo, because it happened that once I, you know, I had like the first draft and and I was I was starting, you know, to to cast and all. It just hit me that it had to be him. It just hit me like you know a revelation that Ricardo was to uh, the 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 killer, and maybe it's because of this meta cinema connection very much in the movie, within the movie, it's kind of like a house of mirrors of, and a movie uh, celebration of horror that I wanted to really connect with the horror pioneer from Uruguay, who is Ricardo Islas. He's the first one to make horror movies in Uruguay before there were even movies at all in Uruguay. Not even, just forget about film funding at all. Just, just imagine in the 80s, a kid, not even in the center, not even in Montevideo, he's from Colonia de Sacramento, which is a smaller city. <laughs> Him with the VHS doing feature films. A vampire, he did, he's the most prolific filmmaker, horror filmmaker. He did one after the other after the other VHS with no uh, previous you know, studies, just by himself editing, doing the editing, the producing, the writing, the, the acting, everything is crazy. And he did a lot. Then, of course, he got one of the first uh, awards for funding. And then he moved to Chicago and he continued being really independent and really into that uh, ground. I think he's very legit in that. So that was amazing. He's, he's like a jewel. So, uh, and I wasn't... I was so sure that he was perfect for the part. And even though the producers were like, why, what, what, what should we like bring him from Chicago here to make this, this little role? I mean, now for, for them it made no sense. Like, okay, Max, it's all cool that you, you know, you like, you know, uh, this cold filmmaker and so it was wonderful, but we are a small budget film and yeah, you get some money for the film funding and it's all great, but this is too much maybe. Yeah. But just, I mean, and I was, I was, I was lucky that he was all the way uh, into it and, and he delivered, he arrived in 15 hours later, we were doing a shot. We didn't rehearse anything. I was all like, this was something like, you know, Either either works out or I'm I'm I'm, I'm done. <laughs> so yeah, I was I, I I was really trusty of of him. Just yeah, I trust my my gut instincts in in, the, in this. And he brought his Frankenstein movie to be the movie within the movie, right? Yes, that's a long story. But yeah, it's a long story because he wasn't going to be that one. But then it ended up being. His movie, so it had another. It added another layer of what I, I will say, meta cinema thing subtext. It's very interesting. It goes a little. It goes a little further of the story because it's it's kind of like you know, it's 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 talking about more about movies than 
just the, the story of the film itself. But it's, yeah, it has that connection. And there's some other, uh, some, some connections in that movie, some Easter eggs connection. Actually, I can, I can just mention one last shot of it. The last shot we use before the credits roll in that film has a very, uh, has the best foreshadowing you can, you can get in this movie. I mean, it's, it's one, it's one shot. You can miss it just like the Dundee, <laughs> Dundee. So look it up because, and, and, and the people who watch it, please just look that up because it has the great, the, the greatest foreshadowing. After you finish the movie, you can go back and look it up. I wanted to ask about just this because I found that, uh, you know, and maybe this wasn't your intention, maybe this was, but as far as a little bit of the motivation and backstory for the killer, my take is for the most part, the people you're killing are all kind of committing sins of the cinema. The the old guy who doesn't leave the screening and won't pay for a ticket, the lady who's smoking, the people <laughs> who are talking, everybody kind of deserves what they get in a small way. Is, it, is that part of the part of his backstory? It's, it's so interesting because this concept, because this movie, it just, you know, remains at this point, is very much a mystery. He remains a mystery, even though you kind of get to know him, who he, who he is in a way, visually, it just remains a mystery. And it's, it's that kind of character. You don't know. I mean, it's up to you. It's up to the audience to know the why's and the how's and what. What it was all that is really uh, just symbolic. So that's, that's the kind of movie it is, not a whodunit. So that concept came up in Argentina. It came up all over the place. I find it fascinating because that wasn't even, I didn't have a thought about that, but I did have a thought about leaving up to the audience of what this is all about, because maybe I'm really eager to, uh, once I was, finishing shooting just just by the end of the shoot i was already having okay i know how this story unfolds and how it continues if i'll continue the story and if i develop the, the backstories and you know getting to know the whys and all that and all and and and, and i know how that unfolds but at this point this movie is a mystery and it's up to you it's up to you it came about and so much interest in it at some point because this this kind of things happen. It's it's, it's amazing. So it's, it's, your imagination is so much better. Uh, that's so, yeah. amazing. So you do have ideas to continue in this universe should the opportunity arise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually thought about it in uh, as a three act, and I do have how to finish it up in in its well three movies. But yeah, I like how it's it's. Uh, and uh, as, as it is now, I love it. So, and I love those kind of concepts that people just came up. But yeah, I would love to to go back and actually, you know, because this movie is really contained, but not only not only contained inside the movie theater. It's it's a time limit story, so it's not really possible by the way it's structured to have it be a whodunit kind of story or something like that with a twist at the end or something like that because it's, it's very straight up because it's really a small time frame for the story. Sure, it's as long as the movie is, right? Just during a projection, it's about two hours. Everything happens a two-hour frame and I kind of like the idea to make it a sort of real time about it. 
like a cat and mouse chase in real time and get that thing going. And also with the thing that I said, uh, okay, I traveled back in time in the 90s and feel a little bit how it was to live in the 90s without, without fucking cell phones and stuff. And, and so you didn't have uh, the option to make that worked out. Like, oh, the killer was the crazy guy who was, uh, who screamed and left uh, the, you know, the, 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 the drunk guy or something. And it doesn't work. So I said, well, that's, that's it for that. For, for, for now, it's symbolic. It's a concept. It's, it's kind of like, it's looking up for being like a horror fable to it. Like, just very, because I, I, I tried, you know, in the developing of the kind of very archetypal characters that go to the cinema, very iconic about it. So, yeah, that's it in the, at this point. So if, if, if the opportunity occurs to develop, which I'm, I'm already like into writing the, 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 the ideas and all that, and uh, 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 that will be awesome. But I like how it is now. Yeah, no, it's glorious. And uh, we're getting the rap signal, so we got to do one more question from Leo. Go ahead, man. Yeah, there's uh, these great homages to Argento films and your saturated lighting at times and the kills, the close-ups, and the fantastic gore. What were some of the challenges in pulling off some of these uh, practical effects? Well, they were very challenging, I can say. And I was kind of surprised that we pull it off uh, all practical because I wasn't, I really wasn't sure that we could do all the kills practical. Some of them change a lot. I had to rewrite them because of budget constraints. That, that pushed creatively, uh, uh, pushed me creatively. So that was good. I had to change some of them. Um, maybe the one with the, uh, without saying much, the one. Uh, something that happens in the projection booth <laughs> uh, that that had to I mean that evolved through you know budget constraints it was a much expensier uh, kill but yeah props to the director of VFX uh, Christian Gruas who pulled it off because it was all practical when it, when it comes to to the horror effects we we just did some cleaning up of you know just just cleaning up basically for for maybe like a tube or something like that but it was like uh everything was on camera and it was it was hard in a way uh it gets you i mean we were we we did uh, this movie in 24 days so it's like we didn't have much 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 time i mean once you i mean we had about one two three takes the most Right in the first take, most of the shots you see on the special effects are the first take or the second take. That's crazy. Or you get it right, or you, or I lost a day and I had to reset all that stuff. You had to shrink another scene next, and or or the uh, um, director assistant, he was really rough. (laughs) Will say, "Well, you have just five hours with the kid now." Like. I mean, this this day you had to crunch this. I mean, you have five shots. Okay, now you have two. Uh, and the special effects were time consuming when you do them practical. So, yeah, we were kind of lucky too. Yeah, because we met. 
Unbelievable, man. Well, as I said, we get in the rap signal now. We could talk to you for hours, though, man. I like the score from Hernan (laughs) Gonzalez is outstanding. Oh, my God. Yeah. You did such a fantastic job on this film, and we really want everybody to go and see it. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us, Maxine. Congrats, man. This is amazing. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 252. Special thanks to our guest, Maxi Contenti. At time of release, his new film, The Last Matinee, is now available on VOD, a bloody, disgusting, and dark star pictures film. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.